Section 15 of Grotesques and Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Grotesques and Fantasies by Israel Zangwill. Vagaries of a Viscount. That every man has a romance in his life has always been a pet theory of mine, so I was not surprised to find the immaculate Dorking smoking a clay pipe in Cable Street, late Ratcliffe Highway, at half past eight of a winter's morning. Nor was I surprised to find myself there, because, as a romancer, I have a poetic license to go anywhere and see everything. Viscount Dorking had just come out of an old cloche-up, and was got up like a sailor. Under his arm was a bundle. He lurched against me without recognizing me, for I, too, was masquerading in my shabbiest and roughest attire, and the morning was bleak and foggy, the round red sun flaming in the forehead of the morning sky like the eye of a cyclop. But there could be no doubt it was Dorking. Even if I had not been acquainted with the sedate Viscount, that paradox of the peerage, whose treatise on pure mathematics were the joy of senior wranglers, I should have suspected something shady from the whiteness of my sailor's hands. Dorking was a dapper little man, almost dissociable from gloves and a chimney-pot. The sight of him shambling along like one of the crew of HMS Pinafore gave me a pleasant thrill of excitement. I turned and followed him along the narrow yellow street. He made towards the docks, turning down King David Lane. He was apparently without any instrument of protection, though I, for my part, was glad to feel the grasp of the old umbrella that walks always with me, hand in knob. Hard by the Shadwell Basin, he came to a halt before a frowsy coffee-house, reflectively removed his pipe from his mouth, and whistled a bar of a once popular air in a peculiar manner. Then he pushed open the bleared glass door, and was lost to view. After an instant's hesitation, I pulled my sombrero over my eyes and strode in after him, plunging into a wave of musty warmth, not entirely disagreeable after the frigid street. The boxes were full of queer waterside characters, among whom flitted a young woman robustly beautiful. The Viscount was already smiling at her when I entered. "'Bring us the usual,' he said, in a rough accent. "'Come along, Jenny, pint and one,' impatiently growled a weather-beaten old ruffian in a pilot's cap. "'Pawn your face,' murmured Jenny turning to me with an inquiring air. "'Pint and one,' I said boldly, in as husky a tone as I could squeeze out. Several battered visages, evidently belonging to habitues of the place, were bent suspiciously in my direction, perhaps because my rig-out, though rough, had no flavour of sea-salt or river mud, for no one took the least notice of dorking, except the comely attendant. I waited with some curiosity for my fare, which turned out to be nothing more mysterious 
than a pint of coffee and one thick slice of bread and butter not to appear ignorant of the price's ruling i tendered jenny a sixpence whereupon she returned me fourpence halfpenny this appeared to me so ridiculously cheap that i had not the courage to offer her the change as i had intended nor did she seem to expect it the pint of coffee was served in one great hulking cup such as gargantua might have quaffed i took a sip and found it of the flavor of chaleybeet springs but it was hot and i made one breakfast table i grew impatient for him to have done and beguiled the time by studying a placard on the wall offering a reward for information as to the whereabouts of a certain ship's cook who was wanted for knifing human flesh and presently curiously enough in comes a police sergeant on this very matter and out goes dorking rather hastily i thought with me at his heels no sooner had he got round a corner than he started running at a rate that gave me a stitch in the side he did not stop till he reached a cab rank there was only one vehicle on it and the coughing red-nosed driver unpleasantly suggesting a mixture of grog and fog was climbing to his seat when i came cautiously and breathlessly up and dorking was returning to his trousers pocket a jingling mass of gold and silver coins which he had evidently been exhibiting to the sceptical cabman he seemed to walk these regions with the fearlessness of una in the enchanted forest i had no resource but to hang on to the rear despite the alarms of whip behind raised by envious and inconsiderate urchins and in this manner defiantly dodging the cabman who several times struck me unfairly behind his back i drove through a labyrinth of sordid streets to the bethnal green museum here we alighted and the viscount strolled about outside the iron railings from time to time anxiously scrutinizing the church clock and looking towards the fountain which only performs in the summer and was then wearing its winter nightcap at last as if weary of waiting he walked with sudden precipitation towards the turnstile and was lost to view within after a moment i followed him but was stopped by the janitor who with an air of astonishment informed me there was sixpence to pay it being a wednesday i understood at once why the viscount had selected this day for there was no one to be seen inside and it was five minutes ere i discovered him he was in the national portrait gallery before one of sir peter Lely's insipid beauties which to my surprise he was copying in pencil evidently he was trying to while away the time at eleven o'clock to the second he scribbled something underneath the sketch folded it up carefully picked up his bundle and walked unhesitatingly downstairs into the second gallery where after glancing about to assure himself that the policeman's head was turned away he deposited the paper between two bottles of tapeworms and stole out through the back door feverishly seizing the sketch i followed him but the policeman's eye was now upon me and i had to walk with dignified slowness though i was in agonies lest i should lose my man my anxiety was justified when i reached the grounds the viscount was nowhere to be seen i ran hither and thither like a madman along the back street and about the grounds hacking my shins against a perambulator and at last sank upon a frigid garden seat 
breathless and exhausted. I now bethought me of the paper clutched in my fist, and smoothing it out, deciphered these words faintly penciled beneath a character of the court beauty. Not my fault you missed me. If you are still set on your folly, you will find me lunching at the Chingford Hotel. I sprang up exultant, new fire in my veins. True, the mystery was darkening, but it was the darkness that precedes the dawn. Chercez les femmes, I muttered, and darting down three colts lane, I reached the junction, only to find the barrier dashed in my face. But half a crown drove it back, and I sprang into the guard's van on his very heels. A shilling stifled the oath on his lips, and transferred it to mine when I discovered I had jumped into the Enfield fast. Before I really got to Chingford, it was long past noon, but I found him. The Viscount was toying with a chartreuse in the dining-room. The waiters eyed me suspiciously, for I was shabby and dusty and haggard-looking. To my surprise, Dorking had doffed the sailor and wore a loud check suit. He looked up as I entered, but did not appear to recognize me. There was no one with him. Still I had found him. That was the prime thing. Becoming conscious I was faint with hunger, I took up the menu, when to my vexation I saw the Viscount pay his bill, and don an overcoat and a billycock, and ere I could snatch bite or sup, I was striding along the slimy forest paths, among the gaunt, fog-wrapped trees, following the Viscount by his footprints whenever I lost him for a moment among the avenues. Dorking marched with quick, decisive steps, in the heart of the forest, by a great oak, whose roots sprawled in every direction. He came to a standstill. Hidden behind some brushwood, I awaited the sequel with beating heart. The Viscount took out a great colored handkerchief, and spread it carefully over the roots of the oak. Then he sat down on the handkerchief, and whistled the same bar of the same once popular air he had whistled outside the coffee-house. Immediately a broken-nosed man emerged from behind a bush, and addressed the Viscount. I strained my ears, but could not catch their conversation. But I heard Dorking laugh heartily, as he sprang up and clapped the man on the shoulder. They walked off together. I was now excited to the wildest degree. I forgot the pangs of a baffled appetite. My whole being was strung to find a key to the strange proceedings of the mathematical Viscount. Tracking their double footsteps through the mist, I found them hobnobbing in the public-house on the forest border. After peeping in, I ran round to another door and stood in an adjoining bar, where, without being seen, I could have a snack of bread and cheese and hear all. "'Could you bring her round to my house to-night?' said Dorking, in a hoarse whisper. "'You shall have the money down.' "'Right, sir,' said the man, and then their pewters clinked. To my chagrin, this was all the conversation. The Viscount strode out alone, except for my company. The fog had grown deeper, and I was glad to be conducted to the station. This time we went to Liverpool Street. Dorking lingered at the bookstall, and at last inquired if they had yesterday's times. Receiving a reply in the negative, he clucked his tongue impatiently. Then, as with a sudden thought, he ran up to the North London Railway bookstall, only to be again disappointed. He took out the great colored handkerchief and wiped his forehead. 
than he entered into confidential conversation with an undistinguished stranger fat and foreign who had been looking eagerly up and down at the extreme end of the platform redescending into the street he jumped into a sharing cross bus as he went inside i had no option but to go outside though the air was yellow and i felt chilled to the bone alighting at sharing cross he went into the telegraph office and wrote a telegram the composition seemed to cause him great difficulty standing outside the door i saw him discard two half-begun forms when he came out i made a swift calculation of the chances and determined to secure the two forms even at the risk of losing him neither had an address one read if you are still on your fa the other come to-night if you are still bolting out with these precious scraps of evidence that only added fuel to the flame of curiosity that was consuming me i turned cold to find the viscount swallowed up in the crowd after an instant's agonized hesitation i hailed a hansom and drove to his flat in victoria street the valet told me the viscount was ill in bed and could not see me i read in his face that it was a lie i resolved to loiter outside the building till dorking's return i had not long to wait in less than ten minutes a hansom discharged him at my feet had i not been prepared for anything i should not have recognized him again in his red whiskers white hat and blue spectacles he rang the bell and inquired of his own valet if viscount dorking was at home the man said he was ill in bed oh we'll soon put him on his legs again interrupted dorking with a professional air and pushed his valet aside in that moment the solution dawned upon me dorking was mad nothing but insanity would account for his day's vagaries i felt it was my duty as a fellow-creature to look to him i followed him to the open-eyed consternation of the valet suddenly he turned upon me and seized me savagely by the throat i felt choking my worst fear was confirmed no further my man he cried flinging me back now go and tell her ladyship how you have earned your fee dorking are you mad i gasped don't you remember me mr pry from the bachelors club great heavens paul he cried then he fell back on an ottoman and laughed till the whiskers ran down his sides he always had a sense of humour i remembered we explained the situation to each other dorking had an eccentric aunt who wished to leave her money to him suddenly dorking learnt from his valet who was betrothed to her ladyship's maid that she had taken into her head he could not be so virtuous and so devoted to pure mathematics as he appeared and so she had commissioned a private detective agency to watch her nephew and discover how deep the still waters ran incensed at the suspicion he had that day started a course of action calculated to bamboozle the agency and having no other meaning whatever when he caught sight of me gazing at him so curiously he mistook me for one of his minions and determined to lead me a dance the mistake was confirmed by my patient obedience to his piping the broken-nosed man was an accident anticipating his value as a beautiful false clue dorking laughed uproariously at the sight of him and readily agreed to buy a french poodle
End of Vagaries of a Viscount. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.